We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event. Like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event. Now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. Welcome to the June 23rd, 2019 edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmItheRealBlair, and my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, what's up? Hey, you know, everything's uh, good, Blair. We're starting summer, which means we're officially heading right into NFL season, and I'm supremely excited for a guest today. His timeline has been hot fire lately. Absolutely, yeah. Joining us on the show today is Ian Harditz. Ian is an NFL analyst for the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. He's been working through a uh, tremendous off-season series for the Action Network where he's been answering the biggest questions pertaining to the 2019 season. So make sure you're following Ian on Twitter, at iHarditz. Ian, thanks for joining us. How's it going? What's up, dudes? Thanks for having me on. Just happy to uh, spend more time in June talking about the football season. I mean, any, any any day where you're talking an hour of NFL talk is not a waste of my book. So I'm excited to get after it. Absolutely. Let's get right into it. Uh, first item, speaking during OTAs, Tyler Lockett said he is, quote, ready for whatever in 2019. So, Ian, now that Doug Baldwin has departed, Lockett steps into the wide receiver one role in Seattle. 
Um, what do you think is his outlook for 2019? And do you think Seattle is going to keep being a run-heavy team? or And what would that mean for Lockett? Unfortunately, I do think they're going to keep being a run-heavy team. I mean, they were clearly the number one team in rush attempts last year and with Schottenheimer still running the show. Uh, they're going to keep doing it. I mean, for better and for worse, even, I mean, Seahawks-Cowboys playoff game, it seemed like every time Russ dropped back to pass, you know, he was completing a 20-yard pass. But they're just content to keep running the ball on first and second down. But we got to deal with that as fantasy owners. That's why Carson and Penny might have uh, some, some value. But I think Lockett is the one guy in this receiving core that can keep value in this run-heavy offense just because of how insanely efficient Lockett and Russell Wilson were last year. I mean, you might have heard some of these stats for, but Russ was a perfect, uh, had a perfect QB rating, 158.3 when targeting Lockett last year. He averaged a league high 13.8 yards per target, league high 3.1 fantasy points per target. I mean, Lockett and Russell, among all QB and wide receiver one combos in the league, they averaged uh, the most adjusted yards per attempt at 10.95. That's more than Mahomes and Tyreek, more than anyone. So, I'm here for Lockett balling out uh, this season, especially with Baldwin gone, like you said, because uh, Dougie Baldwin averaged 115 targets from 2015 and 2017 uh, per season. I don't hate their other receivers, DK Metcalf, uh, Darbo, Moore, Jennings, and Brown, but all those guys are m- more inclined to stay on the outside and I think serve as field stretchers. We know Lockett can do that, but he's going to be getting a lot more work out of the slot this year with Baldwin gone, so I think it'll be the right mix of uh, deep balls and just more high-percentage throws that Lockett hasn't seen as much in the past. Add it all together, and yeah, give me all the title locket this year. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. Like like uh, the the one thing that I was uh, taking a look at was uh, the Seattle uh, game flow uh, by position, and especially how they, you know, how uh, Schottenheimer call plays by position, uh, you know, but just by game flow, and uh, the team sort of had an equal split almost between uh, rush attempts while leading by a point or trailing by a point, and that like you know that. That just goes to show that they would, uh, they they are fairly run heavy. I did like your your point that um, the locket bump in terms of volume, you know, whatever efficiency, it, it's not really sticky. And uh, but you know, taking over as the primary alpha and getting those high quality targets from Russell Wilson, um, that's what I'm really interested in. He is going, uh, I think, in uh, the fifth or sixth rounds in like recent best ball drafts that I've seen. Uh, out of curiosity, like, do you think that Lockett will and could finish as a possible wide receiver one this season, or uh, is, is he more of like uh, a guy who'll finish in that fifteen to to twenty two two range for you? Yeah, I'm thinking fifteen twenty two. You're probably that higher end wide receiver two range. The biggest atrocity I saw with his ADP was we got a Cooper Cup. Uh, going ahead of Lockett. I, no disrespect towards Cup or anything, but that's a guy that on any given week can be his offense's number three or even number four pass game target. And he's still got to come back from this uh, torn ACL he suffered last year. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a rut. You got to pay attention to run heavy offenses. You don't want too many pass game targets from them. But when we have a situation like this where there is a clear cut number one uh, target in that passing game, I'm more uh, keen to take chances on it. Yeah, you made a great point about uh, Lockett probably moving inside we saw him do that a bit last year when Baldwin had to miss games um do you think that maybe having to uh play out of the slot more and play more in the middle of the field would maybe uh cap his upside a little bit like something he's been really good at the last few years has been getting deep balls from Wilson so is there any concern that sort of moving to a different part of the field makes him almost a different player no, I think it'll be okay just because, as you said before, I mean, Lockett did get plenty of experience last year playing in the slot. I mean, I remember 
uh, week one last season, they were playing the Broncos and Lockett uh, twisted Chris Harris into a pretzel and burned him for like a 55-yard touchdown. So, uh, and that Seattle offense in particular, the passing game is pretty unique in that it really relies on Russell Wilson, you know, getting out of the pocket, kind of buying that extra time to let those longer routes down the field develop. So I think we'll see, still see Lockett uh, getting schemed to take chances down the field. Uh, could we see more deep balls this year? Maybe go to DK Metcalf and David Moore? Uh, yes, but I think, uh, again, this high, higher quality of uh, slot targets will probably override that. And I think all in all make uh, Lockett a solid contributor. And uh, I know we've been ta- we, we talked a little bit about Seattle's run-heavy game plan. And uh, out of curiosity, what are your uh, expectations for uh, the first-round draft pick, uh, Rashad Penny, from last season this year, now that Mike Davis is gone? Yeah, I've noticed uh, Penny and Carson's ADPs are creeping closer and closer together. I think it's warranted. Uh, Penny didn't uh, di- obviously didn't achieve what he was uh, drafted to be last year. Uh, Carson Carson deserves plenty of credit for being a very good running back in his own right. But I don't think we need to immediately write off Penny as a massive disappointment. He, uh, It's a little bit of a joke. You know, he came into training camp down to 230 pounds. Not exactly what you – not exactly your idea of a running back cutting weight. But he is in better shape. Uh, Carson missed uh, OTAs with an unspecified knee injury. Doesn't sound like the type of thing that's going to keep him out of game action or anything. But something to keep an eye on. I just think it makes sense, especially with Mike Davis uh, out of the picture for Penny to take on a bigger role this year. So again, this offense, there's enough rush attempts that two of these uh, that could feasibly support uh, both Carson and Penny as, you know, maybe lower tier RB twos or threes on a weekly basis. And if one of them gets hurt though, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy getting 20 uh, touches per week. So uh, I'm fine investing in really Lockett and these two running backs this year. I think the one guy you got to worry about is Russell Wilson, uh, just because we did see his rush attempts and uh, rushing yardage and production in general go down last year. Hey, he made it work with an absolutely uh, amazing, you know, touchdown rate and the guy's a magician. But I think if they're just going to continue to limit his opportunities to throw the ball, I'm not going to take him within the top eight or 10 quarterbacks. Yeah, I think uh, I'm kind of off a little bit on Russ as well. I I take him when he falls pretty nicely. But uh, outside of that, I do like uh, your reasoning for why we should be bearish on Russ, especially his current ADP. Um, uh, Tariq Cohen told Sirius XM NFL Radio that he does not expect his role to change uh, following the additions of David Montgomery and Mike Davis. Uh, Ian, t- uh, Tariq Cohen finished the season as a top 24 running back last season in PPR, and a significant chunk of his fantasy scoring came through the air. Do you think Cohen will be able to finish uh, as an RB2 for the third consecutive season, or do you think uh, Montgomery or Davis uh, emerge as a three-down workhorse and sort of you know cap his upside here? I don't know that Montgomery or Davis will merge as a workhorse per se, but we do have to worry about, I think, Cohen's receiving upside this year. Because, look, the reason they got rid of Jordan Howard was because every time they had Howard in the backfield, defenses knew they were going to run the ball. So Nagy, you know, big his big point of emphasis this offseason was to get more running backs where they could kind of confuse defenses into wondering if it's going to be a pass or run. You know, not the craziest idea in the world, but you need to do this in certain offenses with certain running backs. And both Montgomery and Mike Davis uh, give you that ability to, uh, to catch the ball. Not as well as Tariq Cohen, but better than Jordan Howard. So that's why I have Cohen as more of a high-end, mid-tier RB3 this season. Because it does also look like Montgomery uh, is my pick to really lead this backfield and carries. And maybe eventually pull away with the job uh, as the season goes on. I mean, 
you can't take everything these guys say in the offseason, coaches in particular, as a gospel. You got to look a little bit closer at, I think, the money that's being given out and the draft capital that's being exchanged to get these guys. The Bears sent three picks to move up to pick number 73 to get Montgomery uh, from the Patriots. He's a guy with three down size, five foot 10, 220 pounds. Uh, he ca- has caught 71 passes over the last three seasons. Uh, he's got that ridiculous, uh, I'm sure everyone's seen it, that, like ESPN graphic that pretty much says he's got the feet of Saquon Barkley, the physicalness of Ezekiel Elliott, like pretty much make him out to be the best running back prospect ever. He's got a lot of upside, and it's fair. And I think uh, the the Bears are really going to want to get a guy that can help them control the game. We've seen what Tariq can do with uh, 10 or 11 touches per game. Uh, I just think that could slide a little bit this year, and we can see Montgomery really take over this backfield. So we've seen uh, basically since, I don't know, the uh, since the draft, basically, their ADPs have pretty much converged. So uh, it sounds like you're picking Montgomery ahead of Cohen if you're faced with that decision in a draft. Yeah, I think I am. It's uh, I think they deserve to be right next to each other. But I like if one of Montgomery or Davis gets hurt, I, I don't think we're ever going to see a scenario where Tariq Cohen's, you know, getting fed 15, 20 touches per game. They're going to want to keep him fresh and they understand that he's not the type of player that should be given a workhorse role. Montgomery does have that in his range of outcomes. Yeah. And one of the interesting takeaways uh, realistically was uh, I'm kind of excited about the Bears' receiving core a little bit, if only because we know Allen Robinson was coming off, uh, you know, from that horrible ACL tear and turn, you know, switching teams. So a, a bit of a double whammy for like, a you know, a former elite wide receiver, uh, and uh, I know Anthony Miller is another guy who the Bears, you know, traded up sort of to get and they drafted him fairly highly. And he seemed to look pretty OK as a as a rookie. He did fairly well. Um, what are your expectations about like how this receiving core shakes out? Do you think like Taylor Gabriel would be better utilized, um, you know, as that like speed freak playmaker or like is that like the role that will still like remain with Cohen? They're all talented guys, and that's what makes it pretty tough to project. I'm not really certain that any of them are going to separate enough to become kind of a true uh, number one fancy receiver. I think if there is going to be one of those guys, it's going to be Allen Robinson. We did see him. I believe he averaged a team high 7.8 targets uh, when he was healthy with Trubisky under center last season, and that easily led the way. Uh, you know, Hats off to Tony Miller. He had seven touchdowns last year, and he did it all after really messing up his shoulder, I think, as early as week two. Uh, as you said, Taylor Gabriel, you know, elite field stretcher, a great guy to have on the field just to make safeties respect him. We didn't even go into Trey Burton and uh, Baby Gronk, Adam Shaheen. So they got legit five, you know, competent rece- receivers and tight ends along with the three running backs we were just talking about. I mean, it's an incredibly crowded offense, and I think all that is just really good news for Mitch Trubisky more than anything. He's one of my favorite late-round quarterback targets right now because of both the upside he showed. I mean, don't forget six touchdown game. I believe he had against the Buccaneers. I mean, he had legit overall QB one upside on a week to week basis last year, especially before he got hurt around week 11 or 12, because he's got all these weapons around him. It can't exactly guarantee how effective they're going to be, but you got rushing upside with them and you know that, He's going to have every opportunity to succeed. I'm not completely sold if Trubisky is the answer in general, but if he can't get it done with uh, this group of playmakers, then I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, so you guys are pretty bullish on a, an Allen Robinson bounce back, like more than more than uh, Anthony Miller emerging. I think if one of them is going to emerge, it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a Rob. I'm not so sold on it because look, here's the thing with a Rob last year. He had two amazing games: the division. I mean, the wild card game 
against the Eagles, who if, if you watched any Eagles game in December or January last year, I think you realized they can they could not guard number one <laughs> wide receivers. Uh, and the other big game was against the Detroit Lions, uh, their non-Thanksgiving game when Darius Slay, uh, the Lions' number one cornerback, was actually injured and did not play. So I think A-Rob, he's still fine, but I don't think he's good enough at this point to really beat uh, legit number one cornerbacks. And unfortunately, in that division, you know, he is going to have four matchups a year against Darius Slay and uh, Xavier Rhodes combined. So I think uh, Allen Robinson is going to be a very matchup-specific receiver for me this year because he has shown kind of an inability to separate uh, it's nice, you know, it's it, it's pretty, it's cool when you see these receivers come down with these 50-50 jump balls, but I don't think it's the most consistent way to get fantasy uh, production. I, I do like that uh, you mentioned Tony Miller, if only because uh, I, I think that their ADPs are a bit too wide apart, uh, and I've got a little bit more Tony Miller in my best, best ball, across all my best ball leagues, more so than Allen Robinson, just because there's more wide receivers I like in that A-Rob range. But I did like Ian's point about like Mitch Trubisky as a later round QB. And we didn't even have a chance to discuss that the fact that he's actually got Konami code appeal. Uh, I think I've seen him go behind uh, Josh Allen quite frequently. And I, I, I would tell you straight up, um, I would much rather buy the engine that powers the Bears' offense than the guys who are buying <laughs> the engine that's powering the Buffalo Bills' offense. Yeah, right now, like, as far as QBs that have an ADP of, like, 15 or later, I have Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, and Mitch Trubisky ahead of Josh Allen. Yeah, that I, I mean, you just gave away the secret sauce. It's like, you, <laughs> see, you see Josh Allen go, and those guys are, like, going two rounds later, and it's like, all right, this is tremendous. Like I, what? what? <laughs> I get it. I mean, Josh, I mean, I know he was QB one from weeks 12 to 17 or whatever it was last season. He's shown that upside and they're going to be better at Beasley and a uh, smoky Brown there. But I mean, yeah, just I'll, I'll take the more complete offense. And the big thing about Josh Allen is like something stupid, like 80% of his rushing production last year came on scrambles, not I mean, it wasn't like Lamar Jackson where, like, these are designed quarterback runs. Like, Josh Allen, every single play, he's just kind of, you know, throwing the hat to the wind and seeing what he can make happen. And, you know, hats off to the guy. He made a, he made a bunch of plays last year and put up some great production. But I'm just uh, a little more confident than those other guys of uh, doing it again in 2019. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the the uh, rushing upside with Trubisky. I think a lot of people don't even realize how how really good he was at that. Last year, I mean, just I'm pulling up his player profiler page, ranked sixth in carries. That's ahead of Russell Wilson. So, uh, yeah, fifth in rushing yards, uh, seventh in rushing touchdowns. Uh, it's just a part of his game that I think uh, a lot of people forget and helped him have this season where he produced like almost 10 points above what you expect, uh, according to a player profiler's production premium. Um, you know, these numbers, I think, really help to show... Uh, I guess exactly how a player got their production. And in fact, player profiler and Rotoviz are such kindred spirits in using these metrics that we've decided to team up this year to produce the world famous world famous draft kit. Um, Rotoviz writers wrote all of the team previews and it's now on sale. You can go to playerprofiler.com slash draft kit, order it, uh, sign up. You know, you get a ton of team previews. Hassan wrote a bunch of the player previews. There's a uh, cheat sheet that goes 300 players deep with uh, videos and a lot of Easter eggs. So it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, 
yeah, using it to dominate your draft. Ian, did you write a uh, player uh, uh, profile for a uh, player profiler in the draft kit? Sure did. The Ohio State University's own Paris Campbell coming to a Lucas Oil Stadium near you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass to the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, and best of all, it helps support the pod. And as a thank you for your awesome support, we have a Rotoviz NFL Pass to give away. All you need to do to enter is to subscribe to and rate the Rotoviz radio channels on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Do us a solid, hit that rate button, and in doing so, you gain an entry to our giveaway. For each Rotoviz podcast you rate, your review will count as an entry. And so, therefore, the more reviews, the more chances you have to win. And uh, here's another cool thing. If any current Rotoviz subscriber wins, they will have an additional year added to their current subscription. So there's literally no reason for you to not enter. The winner will be announced on an upcoming show. Please rate and review the Rotoviz uh, network on iTunes and enter now. All right. Let's get into no shit shit no. Say Metro by T-Mobile, got the best deal in wireless, and it's all for you, all for me. Just switch quickly, because Metro has two lines for 80, and two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free, plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be, only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Geico presents Yikes. Another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. First item up, The Athletic's Jeff Rebeck writes, Ravens tight end Mark Andrews looks bigger, stronger, and faster. Yeah, I'm saying no shit here. Andrews is a beast. He, uh, only him, George Kittle, Dra- Travis Kelsey, Gronk, uh, O.J. Howard, Hunter Henry, and Zach Ertz have averaged at least two yards per route run since 2017, per the fine folks at Pro Football uh, Focus. I mean, both Andrews and uh, Chris Herndon from the Jets really put themselves in some nice uh, company in terms of their yards per target last season. The only concern here in Baltimore is just the snaps. I think it's going to be a little bit like the 2018 Colts where there's going to be a bunch of tight ends rotating at all times. You just got to hope that Andrews kind of emerges as the go-to target and and continues to develop that chemistry with Lamar Jackson. We got 2018 first-round pick Hayden Hurst. He's already dealing with, I think, another hamstring injury. So we'll see if, uh, how much he's even be able to play. But they also re-signed Nick Boyle to a three-year deal. Uh, Andrews spent 60% of his snaps in the slot or as a pure wide receiver last season. So he is a guy who, uh, you know, we call a tight end, but we should probably uh, realize that he is uh, spending over half of his time as more of a wide receiver. You know, shouldn't exactly be confined in that tight end role because of that. But he's going to need an Eric Ebron S season, I think, in terms of uh, just reds uh, being able to convert a high percent of his red zone targets into touchdowns. He's got a skill set to maybe do it, but I- I'm looking at a, a couple different different uh, late round targets, more in the Noah Font, Mike Jacecki range, just guys that I think might actually be on the field uh, for a higher percentage of snaps than Andrews. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting that you. Uh, I mean, it, you're talking on draft, or you're just talking on on, on any site, it, just because. All of them. Yeah, it's 
it's interesting because like I think Mark Andrews' price has actually started spiraling upwards. It is interesting to hear him in like the similar uh, uh, in a similar category as uh, George Kittle in terms of uh, yards per route run and a couple of other metrics. But I, I'm with you. I kind of want to see. Uh, He's become a little bit expensive. I do like uh, that you said Noah Font and uh, Mike Kiseki, and I'm really hoping that we can still keep their ADPs really low because um, I've come to really like how late you can get those guys. It's almost a little bit like their afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Mark Andrews might face additional, like, like you mentioned, Hayden Hurst is one guy that we got to see. But I was curious, do you think there's anyone on this Baltimore Ravens is like receiving core that like could be like really take away a, a significant chunk of the share target share or do you have him projected as like the you know ostensibly the wide receiver one kind of like what George Kittle was for the Niners last year oh man it's a good question I don't even I think the wider I mean the number one receiver of this Ravens team I don't think is going to touch uh what Kittle was able to achieve last year I mean just looking at what John how John Brown Willie Sneed Crabtree they were all fairly stable week-to-week contributors with Joe Flacco under center last year, and they just all completely fell off the map as soon as Lamar Jackson got there. I mean, as long as Lamar is going to throw fewer than 25 pass attempts per game, I I don't think there's a need to really invest in anyone in this uh, passing attack. I think you focus on what they are, and that's probably the most run-heavy offense in football, uh, even more so than the Seahawks if we extrapolate that Lamar sample size over the course of a full season. So I think to stick with Lamar, stick with – uh, Mark Ingram, maybe Justice Hill if he gets an actual role, and uh, really just focus on what the Ravens do best. I, would, I wonder if Blair, our resident uh, Ravens fan, has anything to say about this, or he might have just had a heart attack. And uh... <laughs> oh, I can't watch the Ravens anymore. No, actually, they were good. They were good with Lamar, and it was a little bit interesting to watch them play this like really uh, backwards style of football and still be winning games, but. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The person who's going to be taking targets away from Mark Andrews is Lamar Jackson. Exactly, man. It's yeah. I mean, hats off to him. They put Lamar in there. It was a pretty cozy schedule uh, stretch <laughs> he got, but he he won he won games. And even in that uh, playoff game, you know, it was looking like it was going to be a massacre. He actually did bring the Ravens back a little bit using his arms. So. Uh, I, I think, you know, last season is going to be Lamar's worst season as a passer. I mean, he only has uh, really nowhere to go but up at this <laughs> point. So uh, it, it's not going to be, you know, the, the worst offense in the league or anything. I, I, I worry a little bit about how the if the defense can keep such a high level without Mosley. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, add, they added Earl Thomas and that coaching staff kind of always keeps them out to the forefront in terms of scheme anyway. So we'll see what happens. It's a wide open AFC North. It's going to be a fun division to watch this year. Yeah, and uh, I – I mean, I, I want to say that, like, as a, you know, as someone who's uh, residing in Pittsburgh, uh, that, you know, the Steelers are going to be a thing. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's really Cleveland's going to be like, it's going to, I mean, the betting markets have Cleveland as like the clear cut favorite. There's zero value to like betting them <laughs> as AFC North uh, division winners. But I believe uh, Ravens offer a fairly interesting long shot almost. Um, yeah. Even the Bengals aren't too bad. I mean, they were one of the league's top 10 offenses until like half their team got hurt in like week eight, not nine or so last year. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked. I, I'm getting really hyped for like week one. Uh, but on to uh, another uh, year or two running back. Uh, Ronald Jones mentioned uh, that he is looking to get back uh, on the right track uh, this season. I'm not buying this. I mean, look, here's the thing Bruce Arians, this was his quote. I like our backfield. I think it's okay, but there's not a David Johnson or Todd Gurley. 
but you don't need one. I mean, Bruce Arians is he, you know, he was going into the fact that, yeah, they got David Johnson in the third round. You don't necessarily need to invest all that heavily in this feature back. But I think on the other hand, he was saying that he doesn't have a feature back. That's going to be able to be a David Johnson, Todd Gurley S three down talent. So, uh, I think it's important because, you know, we've been looking a lot at Bruce Arians past zona offenses during this offseason. And uh, it, it's good to look at uh, play calling changes and try to uh, get takeaways from what coaches have done in the past. But you got to keep in mind the different talent on those rosters. I mean, Bruce Arians hasn't really had a fancy relevant tight end over the years. But is that because he doesn't like tight ends or because he hasn't had one as good as O.J. Howard? I tend to kind of lean towards the latter point that Arians is going to do the most with the talent he has. I think the most talent in this Buccaneers offense comes down to Mike Evans, Chris Goblin, and OJ Howard. It's it's just impossible to take really anything good away from Ronald Jones and, and uh, Peyton Barber from last season. Yeah, if one of these guys gets 250 touches, they can absolutely uh, you know be a viable fantasy performer. Arians did give Andre Ellington 250, uh, I think, combined carries and targets in a season. So we've seen him do that with you know mediocre running backs before. But I, th- I think in this bat, I mean, on this offense, just focus on the fa- uh, passing game in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I agree with you entirely. Also, the uh, earlier today, I think this just sort of went live, was that the Buccaneers waived uh, Sean Wilson from the squad. Uh, so maybe Ellington really makes it. There's another guy on there called Bruce uh, Anderson, who I think he's been getting a little bit of buzz. Uh, he's someone who I'm going to be paying attention to for preseason DFS. I do like your point that we want to go through the air and that that quote, made Arian sound a lot like uh, he's on team uh, hashtag uh, Arby's uh, don't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, so out of curiosity, uh, where are you, uh, both Godwin and OJ Howard, their ADPs have sort of converged a little bit. Out of those two guys, are you just sort of like splitting up uh, where you're taking them in best ball or or, or do you have like a clear-cut favorite? No, I'm kind of been splitting them up. I'm good with both. I do think Howard is the clear-cut number four tight end outside of the big three, someone you should focus on. Because, I mean, keep in mind with Howard, uh, I was mentioned before, uh, like with Mark Andrews, you got to look at some of these tight ends and see how much they play in the slot and out wide versus just uh, lining up on the line of scrimmage. And Godwin and Howard have, I believe, both have 42 career like targets out of the slot. So it's not as, I mean, we're, we're going to see Chris Goblin take over that Larry Fitzgerald slot role in the Bruce Aarons offense, but OJ Howard is going to be able to be split out and use a lot more as a pure receiver than I think people are giving him credit for. The, the wild card here in this offense uh, that I don't think will be all that useful for redraft purposes, but best ball and DFS, one of Brashad Perryman or Scotty Miller is going to be the kind of John Brown of this offense. I mean, don't forget those Arizona offenses uh, back in the day, it was, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Floyd, and John Brown, really any of them could go off during any given week. Might be a little bit different with O.J. Howard kind of being that de facto number three talent, but both of Perryman and Miller are kind of being set up to be these big play uh, field stretcher talents. So if one of them finds a way to kind of secure this 60%, 70% snap rate, uh, there will at least be kind of these boomer bust plug options that you can hope goes for a big one. Because I think we all know Jameis Winston and Bruce Arians, I mean, those guys love to throw the ball downfield more than just about anyone. So uh, it's going to be some ups and downs, but I think the highs of this offense are going to be really up there. Yeah, big Scotty Miller fan and uh, also big Justin Watson fan. I think this team might, you know, they could throw the most passes in the league and it still won't be enough to give all the guys I like on this receiving group enough (laughs) targets. Uh, I I think they actually will be able to 
to do that if only because uh, this defense is, oh my God, so very bad. Like, <laughs> I wonder if it's possible for the, for like, uh, you know, the NFL to just, uh, I wonder if they're just going to sort of like play from like quarter one, pretending as if they're already down by like two scores. They're going to kind of have to. I will say that they've, they've at least kind of recognized how bad this defense is. They've drafted an absurd uh, let's see, four cornerbacks within the first three rounds over the past two seasons. So none of them have really uh, worked out just yet. And I know they got a, uh, they're trying to replace Quan Alexander with Devin White, which I, th- I think will work out okay for them. But uh, yeah, man, there's no pass rush to speak of, and it, it's going to be a bad unit. Kind of the same reasons though that I think people are excited about uh, Arizona this year. It's it's an offense that could have its ups and downs, but at the end of the day, the defense is going to be so bad <laughs> that they're going to have uh, tons of chances to make something out of it. So, yeah, it's it's also a good thing that their defense is really bad and that they uh, uh, play in the uh, NFC South, which has uh, the Saints, uh, the Panthers, and there's one team I'm currently forgetting. Ah, yes, the Falcons. <laughs> we've got we've, we've got a bunch of uh, hopefully good weather games in in, in December and uh, dome games with shootouts. Yeah, Falcons got 13 freaking dumb games this year. How does that happen? Hmm. Oh man, just you, you're gonna have to stack the Falcons' offense like in like a G, like in like multi-entry GPP is just one per week. <laughs> like just just the one dome stack. I don't know. No doubt. Uh, I think I saw you tweet about this. Ian Drew Brees said he's certainly been impressed with Jared Cook during OTAs. <laughs> I did tweet about this. Uh, I was looking at this question, and I was like, "All right, let's 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 think about what Drew Brees has said about other past tight ends since Jimmy Graham." And sure enough, uh, in 2016, Brees also said Kobe Fleener was quote always open, and that Ben Watson was quote the most complete tight end in the league. Uh, he said both those things in a six month span uh, to start <laughs> the 2016 year, and now he certainly been impressed with Jared Cook. I mean, there's definitely a scenario where Jared Cook has a very good season. This Saints offense is lacking in weapons behind uh, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I mean, I guess you'd have to call Ted Ginn the de facto uh, number three option in the passing game. It wouldn't be shocking at all if Cook ends up with more targets than Ginn, but it's just... This is a guy that we've seen time and time again really not live up to his uh, potential touchdown uh, um, total, and Last year was kind of the first year we saw Cook come through, and it happened as the go-to option on what was a terrible Raiders offense that really had no one else to throw the ball to. So I don't think New Orleans can go out of the way by any stretch to uh, feed um, to feed Cook. And we've really never seen – all right, Ben Watson had a tight end seven finish uh, in PPR leagues in 2015, and Jimmy Graham obviously killed it. Other than that, the Saints haven't had a tight end finish higher than the tight end 15 over the past 10 years. I do think Cook breaks that, but I, I think he's looking at you know a, a, a low end tight end one type of finish this year. Yeah, and uh, you know I was just wondering like like, th- like this was a team that sort of towards the end of the season like the like the defense sort of all clicked together and they just deflated the football that went with that supremely run heavy approach. Um, do you think that that's something that we should expect to see a lot more of this year, or or uh, do you think that uh, and and I guess and for that very reason are you sort of just balancing Kamara and Michael Thomas in the first round, maybe a little bit of Jared Cook later, and then just off-breeze as a quarterback entirely? Or how are you playing that situation? 
Yeah, I'm off Breeze right now. I think uh, he's been a top 10 quarterback forever. I, I don't put that past him again, but I think his days of really competing as a top five signal caller are over. And when you got to draft him inside the top 10 to get him, apparently, you know, I'm just willing to wait uh, in, a, in a year where it seems like we have up to, you know, 20 fantasy relevant quarterbacks because you said it, they've really taken the approach. Uh, that they found in the 2006 season, last time they made the Super Bowl, uh, to a, or I'm sorry, it wasn't last time they made the Super Bowl, but 2006, 2009, 2017, 2018, they've clearly run the ball uh, much less. Those are the only years they've finished with fewer than uh, 40 pass attempts per game. And it's it's a trend they're going towards. I understand, you know, winning often leads to run the ball, not necessarily the other way around. But we've seen Breeze work as the most efficient version of himself in this offense that has finally prioritized run the ball with a better defense. So, yeah, I think Yago, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, they're getting the whole offense funneled through them. But Latavius Murray is going to have a little role here, too, as long as they're sticking to uh, this more run-heavy approach. I think Kamara is going to see a 60-40 split. It's not going to be uh, quite the 50-50 split that we saw uh, him have with Ingram uh, from times. But Latavius is a guy that, you know, on any given week can potentially give you a touchdown and 10-plus uh, carries. And if there is a blowout or, God forbid, something happens to Kamara, all of a sudden, Latavius is a very interesting uh, fantasy prospect. But, yes, uh, in answer to your question, I'm off Breeze. And to be honest, I really don't have much Jared Cook either. I'm If I don't get one of the big three tight ends or O.J. Howard, I've kind of been content to wait and just uh, pick a couple of the late-round guys. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad that you brought up a little bit about Latavius Kamara because uh, the Saints also signed uh, running back uh, Buck Allen uh, this offseason uh, to a contract. They, I believe they worked out him and Alfred Morris, and they went with uh, with, with with Buck Allen. Uh, any thoughts on on that signing, or uh, I mean, or even any interest at all uh, this early? Nah, I don't think Allen's there for. I mean, it'd be he might make the roster. He might he might not. He's only getting forty five thousand. Uh, guaranteed. Meanwhile, Latavius is getting 7.2 million uh, guaranteed money. That's you know nothing against Buck Allen. Maybe he uh, maybe he does show out and make something happen. I know he's got probably more receiving ability than Latavius, but I, I think this entire offense is setting up for uh, Kamara Latavius. And we did see last year, you know, kind of the first time in uh, Sean Payton's history there, where in those first uh, weeks one through four, I mean Kamara was playing like 80% snaps, just complete featured bell cow three down roll. Because Peyton and them weren't happy with any of like Jonathan Williams or those other running backs that they were trying to find to fill in for Ingram those first four weeks. So there is a scenario where Kamara, I guess, gets this featured three-down role that he hasn't really had in the past. I think Peyton and the guys are smart enough not to do that. I mean, I, I think they're telling us that by how much money they gave Latavius Murray. And for that reason, you know, I have Kamara as my RB4 behind uh, McCaffrey, Saquon, and Zeke uh, in that order. And, but yeah, man, if uh, if something happens to Kamara, though, you know, just in terms of an injury or whatever, whatever it might be, that's when uh, Allen gets real interesting because uh, we, we won't see Latavius really inher inherit that full three down roll because of his receiving limitations. The one thing uh, that, I, that I spent a little bit of time doing when when I wrote this question was I was looking over some of the historical depth charts around now and uh, around now we're going back and the Saints have really wanted to have a backup uh, guy who can catch the ball. Uh, you know, they've rostered Traveris Cadet, CJ Spiller, Boston Scott, just a bunch of guys who just sort of never really worked out. I mean, they hung on to like Traveris Cadet for, for a very long time. They, they, they try to make, I remember like there was that one season where like CJ Spiller was a thing just because he showed up on on the Saints. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that we shouldn't really be rushing for Buck Allen. I, I, again, 
uh, my thoughts on 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 Buck Allen are, are are no secret. I just don't think he's particularly good. When you watch him for the Ravens, if you needed to get, uh, you know, uh, two yards for a first down, he'd get you like minus one. Uh, <laughs> I I just I'm not a particularly big Buck Allen guy, and uh, I, I see him more so as a parasite. And I'm really hoping he does not touch that field because uh, like he really like all, all that do, all that dude does is like bungle high leverage plays. And uh, and uh, once in a while, he like fall forward in the end zone for a touchdown. I'm uh, fairly confident that Taysom Hill will have more rushing yards than Javarius Allen this year. <laughs> uh, the Athletics' uh, Stephen Holder is predicting a breakout season for number three Colts tight end Mo Ali Cox. I mean, wh- what are we talking about breakout here? I, I think <laughs> I think I think Stephen's just trying to say that you know Mo Ali Cox had a pretty good training camp, which I don't doubt, but. Yeah, I mean, Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, like, were they even practicing in OTAs? Probably not. They were both so banged up uh, all last season. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. You could put any of us three at tight end with Andrew Luck, and I'm sure he'd find a way to give us five touchdowns over uh, 16 games. So, uh, no, we'll see. Uh, I know Eric's, Eric Swoop's kind of been their athletic backup tight end these last few years. I'm certainly Mo Ali Cox can step in and do that job. I have nothing against the guy, but as long as Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle are there, I mean, Mo Ali Cox isn't going to be a fantasy contributor. And honestly, I'm not really on any of these tight ends this year. We saw Ebron's uh, snap rate really plummet anytime Doyle was involved. Now, Luck kept getting Ebron involved in the red zone regardless. You know, we can't always look at snap rates. I realize there are guys like Ebron last year who uh, are going to get their targets, you know, even if they aren't, aren't on the field all the time. But the big thing for me is the presence of Devin Funches now. Uh, I think he really wasn't in the uh, best offense to fit his talents in Carolina. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a cam guy and everything, but they don't run, you know, the most basic, you know, from the pocket uh, pass offense all the time and Funches he's still a young guy he did show signs of some pretty nice route running and now he gets to catch passes from Andrew Luck I mean I don't think it's a stretch to think that Funches could kind of surpass the things that Dante Moncrief did as T.Y. Hilton's uh, kind of sidekick over the years and I think Funches this year uh, ultimately ends up with more touchdowns than Eric Ebron yeah, that's and that's really good. And and out of curiosity, what are your thoughts on on Paris Campbell? Because I know you mentioned you wrote him up for the uh, player profile of world famous draft kit. Yeah, I was higher on Paris coming out of the draft. I was hoping he could, because uh, I mean, look, the big, his big thing at Ohio State obviously was uh, he he was never asked to go downfield or really catch these deep balls. He's getting the tap passes, he's getting the screens, he's making big things happen with the ball in his hand, which is what you want to see. But uh. Uh, I, I was confident he could do more because Ohio State does kind of have this history of just asking their receivers to only do uh, one or two things, and they just have different receivers for different roles. Uh, Dane Brugler from The Athletic reported that Campbell looked awesome uh, during the during NFL Combine at tracking deep balls down the field, but the stuff from OTAs don't really back up that s- sediment. It doesn't look like Campbell is guaranteed to uh, you know uh, sit Chester Rogers on the bench in that slot role, so – I wouldn't be shocked if Campbell sees more of a 40-50% snap rate role as a rookie. I'm, I haven't had any shares of him in best ball. I like the player. I like the talent. And once he kind of is able to get on the field as more of a as more than just a gadget guy, I think we'll we'll see him really thrive. But I don't think that's going to be this year. Yeah, I think I saw Frank Reich said recently that uh, having Campbell on the field would probably have an effect on Naheem Hines' touches. Um, do you see them? coexisting in this offense it's an interesting point uh you know paris campbell was a high school running back 
I wouldn't be surprised if they try to get him some looks in the backfield. And Naeem Hines, you know, unlike Marlon Mack, the Colts really would use Hines in the slot as more of a pure wide receiver. So, yeah, I mean, Hines quietly caught, you know, over 50 balls last year with, uh, you know, only 12 games out of Marlon Mack. So I would say a healthier Marlon Mack and Paris Campbell is going to hurt Hines this year. Dante Foreman said he feels as healthy as he ever has dating back to college and is coming up, coming with something to prove to everybody. Yeah, I think that's exciting news for Foreman. He had that Achilles injury as a rookie, and it, it, it was later in the year. I think it makes sense that it takes uh, two seasons to come back from this injury. And let's not forget, like, he was outplaying Lamar Miller as a rookie in that uh, 2017 season before that Achilles injury. And now Alfred Blue's gone. I mean, quietly, there's a ton of opportunity available in that Houston backfield. If we're just looking at uh, running back groups from 2018 to 2019, Houston has the sixth most open snaps, the tenth most carries, and the eighth most targets available, uh, mostly from Alfred Blue being gone. So I don't know if Foreman's going to be able to just outright outplay Lamar Miller and take a three-down role, but he's got the size and receiving ability to kind of be one of these theoretical three-down guys if something happens to Lamar. And I, I think it hurts Miller's stock more than anything. I'm not exactly ramping up my Foreman shares too much, but he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on uh, in this backfield. Yeah, and I mean, I was I'm just looking at their um, uh, the Houston Texans is like uh, backfield right now, and uh, they have a they've got a lot of running backs on the roster. This is going to have to be pared down a whole heck of a lot before we, uh, you know, when they start cutting down to the 53 man. But I think uh, Miller and Foreman are probably going to make uh, make the team. The, the guy who I kind of uh, who became a, an instant classic cult hit for me on on draft night was uh colin galaspia if i don't know if that's how you pronounce his name because uh when i first googled his like when i you know when they picked him i, I googled his name and it took me to his twitter page and his pin tweet is uh arguably one of the most uh awesome things and like it, it'll, it'll turn you into uh an instant fan um uh, when you when you actually see it uh i've been working on the assumption that uh Kiki QT is sort of going to behave a little bit more like an extension of the run game, a little bit kind of like a, that, what Naheem Hines did uh, for the Colts last year, lining up in the slot, getting those shallow A dot targets. Uh, do you think that that, you know, my optimism on that's a little bit uh, uh, misplaced or is that like how you would see them deploy Kiki uh, this season? Yeah, it makes sense to me. I've been, I've, I've been a little bit slow to come around on Kiki. I thought a lot of his, uh stats last year were inflated because will fuller was out uh, a couple i mean i i know kiki has decent five game splits with fuller but it, it was just a weird it's such a small sample size that you can dig into a little more and one of those games full got fuller got hurt early then you had the cowboys game where he was like clearly banged up and just more of a distraction than anything so i'm not convinced kiki can step in this offense with a healthy fuller and hopkins and produce but with that said, we have pretty much zero evidence that Will Fuller can play a full 16-game season. So I'm, uh, you know, for better or for worse, always kind of willing to take on the higher risk, high, higher ceilings guys. Uh, I have draft – Will Fuller is easily my highest exposed uh, wide receiver in best ball this year just because whenever he's on the field, the guy's catching touchdowns, the guy's working as a top 20 wide receiver, and he's not being uh, drafted that way at the moment because of those in injury concerns. But, hey, if we do get an injury without – if we do get a season without those injury concerns, you know, it's going to be a whole bunch of fantasy football goodness. So uh, I could see Kiki working as that extension of the running game, like you said. At the same time, we do have two seasons' worth of evidence that Deshaun Watson is not really a fan of checking it down. I think he's going to keep trying to take those chances downfield as often as possible. 
oh man, like Will Will Fuller talk just is is pretty much uh, my favorite, if only because um, I've been a huge fan. Uh, I, I think Matt Friedman, uh, you know, off the uh, of Action Network and Fantasy Labs, and formerly of Rotoviz, uh, famously described him as a kind of like OBJ esque ish talent. Yeah, I called Matt out immediately after he said that. I did not agree with my lo- dear friend Matt's assessment there. I think he's a Deshaun Jackson type talent. OBJ, aka the best wide receiver in the NFL right now, does not have a peer. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I have OBJ uh, right now. I think ranked in my redraft as like 107 or 108, and uh, I had to move him down from uh, from 105, 106, if only because uh, I. Don't know if I could like pimp out just saying you should be taking OBJ ahead of DJ in, in, in best ball leagues, but in head to head wavered like redraft or whatever. Oh my, you, I'm just, I'm 100% taking OBJ. I want all the OBJ this year. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm not, look, I do think OBJ is the most talented uh, receiver in the league, but I think there are real target concerns in that uh, offense. We, we do, we have seen a history of Baker and Kitchens, you know. Baker didn't throw double-digit targets to a single receiver last year in a game after Kitchens took over. Uh, OBJ is going to get his, but you know if he's if he's going to see 120 or 130 targets, it's just hard for me to put that above Julio, DeAndre, and Devontae, who were looking at 160 plus. NJ.com's Zach Rosenblatt said it's premature to expect second-round running back Miles Sanders to become the Eagles' number one uh, RB. Yeah, it's a fair. Uh, I think it's a fair point from Zach. Uh, he's been. I think the big problem has been Sanders dealing with this hamstring injury, and not getting really to work in OTAs, which is just worst case. I feel like every year we have one of these talented rookies who just kind of injuries stop his progress, and he's not able to get the reps he needs. He's not able to get ingrained in the offense because look, this this is an Eagles offense where we've never really seen them have number one running back in the Doug Peterson era. Only Darren Sproles in 2016. He finished with 45% snaps that year. That's the only running back in this Doug Peterson three-year era that's had over even 40% snaps throughout the course of a season. Now, I do think Miles Sanders uh, is special in that, you know, second-round pick with a more of a three-down skill set than I think any of these other running backs they've had uh, has brought to the table. But he can't show off that three-down skill set if he's not getting to practice at this point. So uh, I do think Jordan Howard is going to have a bigger early season role than people expect. I do think Miles Sanders, uh, as long as you know he doesn't deal with too many injuries and just not able to get on the field, I do think by the time November comes around, we're going to see him taking over that backfield. But yeah, I think it's a good call by uh, Zach Rosenblatt. I mean, it, I'd be surprised if Miles Sanders is getting even 40 or 50% of the snaps for the first month of the season. Raiders OC Greg Olson said tight end Darren Waller, quote, has that position and currently sits atop the depth chart. I've seen so much Darren Waller hype. I mean, fantasy football Twitter, if, if you have a tight end that like used to play basketball or has an ounce of, ounce of athleticism, I mean, everyone freaks out. And we've seen that with Darren Waller. And I get it after last year where Jared Cook did so well in that Oakland offense. But there is no way that Waller even approaches, uh, I think, the number of targets that Cooks all last year, as long as Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams are right. I mean, we should we really shouldn't even be looking at uh, Jared Cook's 2018 totals and trying to project trying to project Waller. Look at 2017 when they had Crabtree and Cooper there, two wide receivers that are going to be the top two pass game options. And that season, Cook only had 54 catches for 688 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, hey, if Waller puts that up, that's a pretty good season for him. But 
I've really been fine with not. I mean, I haven't really even considered him honestly in these best ball drafts. Again, I, I'm 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 looking at Noah Fant, Mike Jacecki, Dallas Goddard, and even our boy Mark Andrews above a above a Waller. I just think, first of all, I I do not think Derek Carr is a good enough quarterback to support more than two uh, fancy relevant pass game options. And there's a lot of unknown with Waller. They do have a, a other tight ends, you know, Luke Wilson, Derek Carrier, uh, Eric Swoop, who we mentioned before. So it's you know, maybe he does have that position on lockdown, but that might only be a 50% snap rate as a number three or four pass game option, what figures to be an average offense. Yeah, I mean, average is actually kind of uh, generous considering. I, I, I wanted to say below average, but I thought I'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, it, it, it's, it's nice that you're willing to give uh, uh, what is definitely Derek Carr's final season as a starting quarterback in the NFL uh, a, a little bit of respect. Uh, my God. Anyway, whoever signs a card next, uh, I saw uh, Chris Raybon mention this, that they've got a really good, uh, the Raiders have a very good backup quarterback on their roster right now, and they're still in search for their, uh, for their starter. Um, oh, uh, man. Yeah. I, and I will say this for Derek, like his numbers at last year, if you look at him, were actually kind of like the second best of his career, which feels weird to say but that's just because his numbers have never been that good even the year where everyone goes oh well he had i believe it was 2016 he was playing like an mvp candidate i mean that was just even that year he was like middle of the pack in yards per attempt and i think he just benefited from some uh kind of touchdown uh positive regression uh going on so yeah i mean everyone's saying negative things about Derek carr maybe the guy will prove us all wrong uh either way i cannot wait for this year's hard knocks in oakland that's going to be a real treat oh that just the grudenisms that will come from that. <laughs> um, the Charlotte Observer reports that uh, Cam Newton uh, has resumed throwing a regulation-sized football as he's recovering from his shoulder surgery. Yeah, I, I love how we now we need to really pinpoint the size of the football after the whole Andrew Luck saga uh, last season. But it's good news. I mean, Cam Newton, it, we were kind of wondering if this was going to be an issue all offseason. And it seems like everything's going as planned. They talk about him refining his mechanics. I mean, it's not – it'd be great if none of this was happening and we just had Cam, you know, healthy throughout the offseason. But it is what it is, and it seems like it's going as well as uh, we could expect. But the good news is, is look, we, we know Cam is just – absolutely beyond special as a rusher you know he's only one of eight players with 50 rushing touchdowns over the last 10 years he's more than just like he's legit a high-end running back at least especially near the goal line that's also playing quarterback and he's been a top eight quarterback in fantasy points per game in seven of the last eight seasons with that rushing production uh kind of on his uh on his back always you know his his floor he's always got that huge rushing floor this year even if he can't throw down field like he used to, I think they finally have the offense to suit those strengths and suit that type of Cam Newton. We got DJ Moore, we got Christian McCaffrey, and we got Curtis Samuel. All three of those guys can take a short pass in the house, no questions asked. And this offense, we already saw signs last year. It was the first time in forever that Cam's uh, average target depth was under 10 yards uh, with North Turner. Really, you know, unique offense. And I think they have the pieces to run it. So it's no longer Cam kind of attempting these downfield passes to, uh, to you know, de- a covered Devin Funches or a covered Kelvin Benjamin. Anyway, now he's got some youngsters that can really run away from guys, and I'm excited to see what he can do with it. Yeah, his current ADP on on draft right now is uh, quarterback 13, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fear surrounding a soldier, but also just how deep it is. Um, have you got a significant chunk of uh, Cam Newton in your in best balls thus far? Yeah, I mean, 
Honestly, I, I've even been down to wait longer and keep going with that Dak, Lamar, uh, Trubisky pool I mentioned before. But I have no problem with Cam at QB 13. I, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't creep on up to QB 10 by the time the season starts. I think a lot of that ADP was driven by a pre by drafts before we kind of got this nice update on his shoulder. So I, at QB 13, I think you should definitely go out of your way to grab some Cam. Packers coach Matt LaFleur was impressed with wide receiver Trevor Davis's spring. Trevor Davis fighting on Jay Kumaro for that preseason number one wide receiver target. Uh, we'll see what happens in Green Bay. I'm, I'm just concerned about this offense's upside in general because we haven't seen the same just beyond elite version of Aaron Rodgers over these last three years. He's been fine. He's still been a you know top 10 quarterback and all this, but he's no longer been averaging like the most yards per attempt by far in the league without uh, all these weapons. And they really didn't do anything to upgrade the offense other than add Matt LaFleur. And, you know, everyone wants to go, oh, Aaron Jones, this is the year he really takes over. We just saw Matt LaFleur in Tennessee take three months before he put Derrick Henry above a Deion Lewis. So I'm still not convinced that Matt LaFleur is this offensive wizard that's going to turn everything around. But I think as long as Aaron Rodgers is under center, we are going to see one to two guys in this passing game really ball out. Obviously, Devontae Adams is that number one guy, but I think behind him, Jeronimo Allison is someone we got to give a long look towards. Uh, in, in Aaron Rodgers' career, only Allison and Jordy Nelson uh, have averaged over 10 yard, ten adjusted yards per target uh, among receivers with at least 50 targets throughout those careers. So he's been a consistent downfield threat. He's shown a level of chemistry with Rodgers, and he only played five games last year, but he was on his way towards a 16-game pace of 64 catches, 969 yards, and six-and-a-half touchdowns. So... Uh, good things from Jeronimo. Obviously, if uh, Aaron Jones can get that uh, three-down roll, uh, you know he's got the talent to do so. But I- I'm just not buying the whole Matt Lafleur effect at this point. Uh, I mean, out of curiosity, so the Packers have spent a lot of draft capital on on defensive players, um, just a lot. Uh, and uh, you know they've got a handful of guys who I think, uh, especially the corners that they drafted last year, seem to be fairly good, but. If this is the year that like the defense that they've been trying to draft for the last four years finally clicks, like, do you think that that's just going to completely, you know, sort of neuter the upside of like Aaron Rodgers, especially at his like ridiculous, like just being drafted as like QB two or three, I think, in like round six. So out of curiosity, what are your thoughts there? I don't know that a good defense would completely hurt uh, Rodgers per se. I do think QB two is just too high. At this point, he's got to be more towards that mid QB one sphere. And and that's really why I'm so comfortable just taking a later round quarterback this year. I mean, there's all these top quarterbacks still have like some amount of questions attached to them. Even, you know, we we don't have a Tyreek Hill suspension at the moment, but even Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's serious questions on his touchdown regression and what he's going to be like in an offense that might not have the fastest wide receiver in the league for a little bit. So, uh I mean, it's a good point with the defense. They added, uh, they finally added some pass rushing and free agency as well to kind of complete the whole thing. Uh, Yair Alexander uh, got in a little bit of trouble when he was asked to shadow some truly elite number one receivers, but did about as well as you could ask a, a rookie to do. And obviously, uh, you know, the I- Iowa corner they have as well. I think they're making the right moves to try to address the system, but. At the same time, you know, they, they bring in LaFleur, but they keep their defensive coordinator. Like it's it still seems like a team that's being kind of run by the front office and upper management. And I'm I'm just not really convinced this massive turnaround's coming that everyone's waiting for. Yeah, you mentioned Allison. Uh he's had, you know, he's seen his ADP rise quite a bit recently. The other guy who's really moving up draft boards 
is uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. He's getting some nice buzz, I guess. Any interest in him? I think he's the favorite to uh, be that uh, number three receiver uh, and three wide receiver sets, maybe in the slot. I don't hate it, I, but I mean, I'm, I'm leaning towards Allison over him just because of uh, his aforementioned uh, uh, rapport with uh, Rodgers over the years. So I'm fine. MVS, you know, Equinemia, St. Brown can maybe even make some noise if uh, something happens to one of these guys as well. And hey, I mean, Jimmy Graham was playing pretty all right last year before he had that thumb injury in uh, week 10 or 11 or whatever it was. So uh, I wouldn't count him out just yet either. At the end of the day, though, I, I think you just really want to focus on Devontae Adams because Aaron Rodgers even said this offseason, like he thinks they can get Adams more targets. And it's the same situation as last year where there's just there's so little talent in the rest of the offense outside of Adams that we can just be so confident that he's going to see 150 plus targets if, uh, if if there's no injury to him. And there's literally, you know, you can only say that about one or two other guys in the league. Albert Wilson could uh, miss the start of training camp with his uh, leg injury. Yeah, Albert Wilson had such a good year last year until he got hurt. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. He joined Julio Jones as the only wide receivers to average over three yards per route run over the last five years uh, on his short stay. I mean, 13.3 yards after the catch on 36 targets last season. That's the highest total in PFF history, which only goes back like 2006, and it's only had 30 targets. But still, this guy was electric. Uh, it's just, if he's going to be out, I think it helps, uh, it pretty much cements the starting three wide receiver sets as Kenny Stills, uh, May MVP, Devontae Parker and Jakeem Grant. But the guy I'm really excited about on this offense is Mike Jacecki. I mentioned him earlier, but stupid athletic, uh, tight end, uh, Penn state, you know, kind of like Andrews. This is a guy that could easily run 60% of his routes in the slot or out wide and look just fine doing it. And the new, the new uh, Dolphins offensive coordinator is Chad O'Shea, who was a Patriots wide receiver coach from 2009 to 2018. I mean, this is a guy that oversaw the entirety of Gronk's career. You would think that he's going to be able to get know how to get the most out of a uh, athletically gifted tight end like Jacecki. So it's a it's an interesting Dolphins offense. I mean, they have a ton of speed on the field, especially when you consider Kenyon Drake. Uh, if Ryan Fitzpatrick can give him like even half of what he did last year, the Dolphins could, I think, have some sneaky. Just, I mean, they're not going to be good, obviously, but they could be in some shootouts, kind of like people are expecting the Cardinals to be, uh, even if they don't have that same preseason hype. An NFL spokesman told the Athletics Jeff Howe the league has no update on Josh Gordon's indefinite suspension, uh, which sounds like not actually a news thing. But I guess the question is, should we ever expect to see <laughs> Josh Gordon back in the? I didn't, but apparently, I mean, I've heard hosts say uh, throughout the rest of the offseason too that the, you know the Patriots are cautiously optimistic that Gordon could be back in uh, uniform this season. I mean, there was also uh, Tom Brady posting on his Instagram that he was throwing the flash. I think it's worth, you know, the, the we were talking about this uh, pre-show a little bit about, you know, what to do with your 18th round best ball pick. And Josh Gordon's one of those guys. That's an option. I mean, look, Brady's averaged a career high 11.5 adjusted yards per attempt to Josh Gordon. I mean, literally his most efficient target of his career. That rate's better than the Lockett Wilson, better than the Mahomes Tyreek. I mean, really, when Gordon was there last year and he had to pick up the playbook quickly, he balled out, but if he's not going to be there, it's looking like a, a three wide receiver set of Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, and Nikhil Harry. Uh, ben Watson suspended first four games at tight ends. They're going to have kind of a rotation going before that. Uh, once Gordon's on the field, you got to love it. I think before then, though, we really got to look at Julian Edelman as a guy that could have his best fantasy season to date. I mean, if they're in a situation where they don't have anything other to do than 
to give him 10 or 12 targets per game. I mean, you, you know he's going to catch an eye on those. So, According to the Lions' official website, Matthew Stafford played through broken, broken bones in his back last season. Hope Matt's okay, man. He's had a rough offseason. God bless him and his wife. But uh, it's... We'll, we'll see what this offense looks like. They're trending, to- they're trending towards a real run-heavy team with a uh, 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 ex-Seahawks offensive coordinator, uh, Darren Bavell, now running the show. The one thing I'm looking for in this offense I think could change is an uh, enhanced focus on the deep ball. Russell Wilson was always a top uh, top 10 uh, threat in deep ball rate under Bavell. Stafford is ranked 17th or lower in six of his last uh, seven seasons in percentage of passes that went 20-plus yards downfield. Obviously, Golden Tate was a big reason for that. They kind of fed the offense through him and Theo Riddick on these short passes. He's gone. Now we got Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones out wide. Uh, It's an interesting spot, guys, because, like, yeah, I I think Kenny Galladay is better. I think he's the favorite to be the number one wide receiver in Detroit. But I think there's certainly a scenario where Marvin Jones ends up working as the number one guy. And Galladay right now is a wide receiver 19 ADP. And Marvin's wide receiver 41. So, you know, I think I think Galladay could beat wide receiver 19 potentially. He's that good. But at the same time, Marvin Jones, wide receiver 41. Give me that all day. New Jets GM Joe Douglas called Robbie Anderson a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, it was Joe not watching their last month of the season. <laughs> uh, as, as soon as Darnold got back from that injury, uh, Robbie was the PPR wide receiver six, weeks 14 to 17. Uh, I, I want to be in on Robbie Anderson every year. It's just tough, too. He's never in an ideal situation. Now we got Adam Gase in town, who we've seen it over the years. He really features a slot receiver, whether it be Jarvis Landry, Danny Amendola. Even Eddie Royal with the Bears back in the day was getting fed. And now we got Jameson Crowder and Le'Veon Bell there to steal targets. Uh, talk of an early season suspension for Chris Herndon, potentially two games or so for a DUI-related arrest. But uh, uh, it's just a crowded offense. It's a crowded offense that looks like it's not going to run that many plays. I mean, Adam Gase is ranked 27th, 31st, 29th, and 31st in situation-neutral pace over the last four seasons. I could see whoever ends up leading this team in targets, you know, maybe only flirting with that triple-digit mark. I hope it's Robbie. He can do a bunch with it. But I, I'm just not super confident uh, he's going to get – that consistent uh, target share throughout the year. And it's just this Adam Gase offense in general. I mean, look, he averaged 32.2 points per game with uh, Peyton Manning as, court- as his quarterback, only 20.2 points per game with uh, Tannehill and Cutler and those guys. Obviously not the finest group of talent he's been working with, and I think Sam Darnold is an upgrade over that. But uh, I-, I have my concerns about the Jets kind of supporting multiple fantasy-relevant players. Don't forget about the top wide receiver prospect in this class, Greg Dortch. Ooh, big game, Greg. There we go. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first dynasty league, and they've now grown to be the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues as high. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets. Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. As $5,000 center, FFPC leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard, Superflex, and best ball formats. 
FFPC also has plenty of other great redraft formats, including best ball drafts, starting at $35 all the way up to a $1,250 entry fee. Both slow and live leagues are filling and launching daily. To register for a premium league, starting at just $35, go to myffpc.com. All right, getting into regular news item number three. Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury expects a really nice role for second-year running back Chase Edmonds. So, Ian, uh, you know, this is one of the teams we're all expecting to be a really exciting uh, team in 2019, and uh, it's filtering down to a lot of their auxiliary players. So what are your expectations for the workload split between David Johnson and Chase Edmonds? I've been kind of working on the assumption under the assumption that David uh, is really going to be the guy in that backfield as he's been whenever he's been healthy over the last few years. But I'm open to Edmonds having, uh, you know, 20 to 30 percent snap rate if they're willing to get DJ more involved as a pure receiver with Bruce Arians in 2015. And uh, I'm sorry, in 2016, or, uh, 2015, 2016, DJ played 18, 20 percent of his snaps in the slaughter out wide. That dropped to 7 percent last season where he was just painfully misused the entire year i mean even moving past his uses as a receiver his highest percentage in the league and his run straight up the middle just no creativity in that entire offense so hoping for good things uh per nfl.com's graham barfield texas tech running backs were 10th in college football and receptions during the last three seasons cliff kingsbury seems like a type of guy that's going to put his best players in a position to succeed so i don't think this hurts david johnson it brings up an in- interesting point for chase edmonds though and that's uh he's looking like one of the best handcuff options in the league and i think he was last year as well uh even i, I don't expect him to have much week-to-week value uh even if you know, uh, Kingsbury's talking about a really nice role. We'll see if that really nice role has more than five or six touches per game attached to it as long as uh, David Johnson's healthy. But if something happens to DJ, yeah, all of a sudden you got Edmonds, who apparently the Cardinals were high enough on to, you know, still be rolling with it with this new coaching staff. So it, it's definitely an offense you want to have a lot of investment in for sure. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask, out of curiosity, like we've heard a lot about how this like team is going to play, like it's going to be a true spread offense. They're going to be playing up tempo and they, you know, there's a possibility that they could lead the league in plays run. Um, If that's the case, uh, you know, maybe, maybe just like by the, you know, sheer increase in raw number of plays being run. I, I wonder if that just leads to Chase Edmonds and, DJ having to rotate more. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, like most traditional spread offenses, like we've never seen, uh, you know, sorry, an, an air raid offense. We haven't seen a full, fully embraced air raid in the NFL yet. You know, we've we've seen concepts of the West Coast mesh with, you know, with air raid mesh with a handful of other things. But this is like, like, you know, all the news coming from this sounds like, we're because, you know, I'm almost imagining that we're going to see a lot of like four wide sets and like just almost exclusively being played from under shotguns out of curiosity. Do you see Edmonds having any value there or not really? I don't think you want a week-to-week basis, but you bring up a good point, and that's just like we don't know what this offense is going to 100% look like, and there are a ton of capable options to choose from. Uh, mentioned earlier, kind of one of the staples of an air raid offense, though, is that it spreads the ball around. You know, It really doesn't hone in on one receiver, and we saw that last year kind of with, with Baker and Freddie Kitchens uh, not – leaning on Jarvis Landry, any single receiver once they were kind of running their show. And I think we'll see something similar from Kyler and company this year. Cause look, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's still there. 
better. I mean, for better or for worse, he's uh, he hasn't really been winning with speed for years, so it's not out of the question that he can still contribute something. I think Christian Kirst, the favorite to lead the team in receiving. Uh, there's Andy Isabella stands all over fantasy football Twitter. Uh, maybe some of you are listening right now, and uh, and we even got some uh, you know later round draft picks, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, guys like that that uh, can make some noise as well. So there's a lot of talent in Arizona. Uh, we're gonna have to try to figure out pretty quickly in the beginning of the season who's getting uh, the biggest snap shares and touch shares. Because yeah, man, I mean there is a chance that this uh, really nice role is closer to a 50 percent snap rate, and maybe we're gonna rotate the backs. I'm, you know, gun to my head, I do think DJ is going to be playing 70% plus snaps this year, even if they are going more up tempo. But it's definitely something to think about. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Christian Kirk. He's someone I really want to talk about. He's has seen his ADP rise like uh, pretty quickly. I mean, in the last few months. Uh, is he someone you're still or you're comfortable drafting at ADP, even with all the weapons they added and kind of a uh, new quarterback, new system? Uh, what are yeah. you doing with him? Yeah, it's been a perfect storm for Christian Kirk, Kirk uh, this offseason. I mean, first, people might forget, Kirk and Kyler Murray were teammates back at uh, Texas A&M before Kyler transferred to Oklahoma. I believe Kyler's first career uh, touchdown pass actually went to Kirk. So a uh, uh, nice little pass connection that they're ramping up for the future because, you know, according to Kingsbury, Kirk really stood above the rest of the wide receivers and kind of knowing the air raid terminology and standing out in that offense out of all those guys. I think Kirk is the favorite to be on the field the most and kind of lead that position unit in snaps. And because uh, his biggest knock coming out of college was that, that people thought he might be restricted to the slot and with Larry Fitzgerald there it might be tough for him to get reps. I mean, he proved in the second half of last season I and mean, he balled out even with Josh Rosen, uh, you know, kind of being an inconsistent talent under center. And uh, a lot of the stuff uh, Christian Kirk did was on the outside. You know, I uh, had a tweet a while back just looking at purely outside routes and he's breaking down Richard Sherman. He's getting he's double moving Yair Alexander. I mean, truly a nifty route runner. And then you can also throw him a screen and watch what he does with the ball in his hands. So. I, I really think Christian Kirk is a higher level talent in the NFL. And we're going to see this year that uh, he's more than capable of that, capable of that uh, reaching the production needed for that draft slot. If anyone listening to this plays in uh, dynasty league with me, do not, and I'm going to repeat this again, do not send me trade offers for either Kyler Murray, Christian Kirk, or Andy Isabella, Chase Edmonds, David Johnson. <laughs> I don't want to project and then delete all that junk from my email. Just don't bother. Um, the <laughs> Athletics is uh, Matt Barrows projects Dante Pettis as the 49ers number one starting X receiver and Debo Samuel as the 49ers number two starting as Z receiver. Ian, uh, what are some realistic t- uh, expectations for Pettis and Samuel this season? Do you foresee uh, either player eating significantly into George Kittle's outside target share from last season? And uh, do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is capable of supporting all three players as fantasy viable options for 2019? I think Kittle's still the clear number one guy in San Francisco. He's too good not to lead that passing game. Uh, but there is reason to expect some regression uh, with these added weapons, with Jimmy Garoppolo coming back. And, I mean, you don't want to expect regression just for regression, but Kittle was, like, just posting some historic uh, numbers last year when it came to yards gained, like, after the catch. He is a big athletic guy, so, yeah, we should expect him to be one of the better tight ends. Uh, with the ball in his hands, you know, just running in the open field. But at the same time, I mean, it, it was something like 3.2 uh, average yards after the catch above expectation per next-gen stats. So he really just killed it 
way more than anyone thought last year. So even just a little bit of a return to earth could kind of take him uh, out of that same stratosphere we saw last year. But I think it's really good news for Dante Pettis. Uh, we saw him work as that number one receiver uh, last season once he kind of got healthy. Between weeks 12 and 15, Pettis was the PPR wide receiver 20, the wide receiver 3, the wide receiver 24, and the wide receiver 22. So we've seen him consistently produce over a month-long stretch. He was one of only 15 rookie wide receivers to average double-digit yards per target over the last 25 years. So I'm pretty high on Dante Pettis, and I'm still pretty high on Jimmy Garoppolo. It's been crazy to see him go from, I believe, last year uh, preseason, he was a QB 10 average draft position. Now he's QB 17. I don't necessarily disagree uh, with him moving down. I would probably agree with most of the guys that jumped him. But look, only Jimmy G, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, and Patty Mahomes have averaged at least eight adjusted yards per attempt over the last three seasons. It's only a 10-start sample size. We're working with uh, Garoppolo. I get that. But look at this offense now. We got weapons. We still got Kyle Shanahan calling plays. And, uh, you know, the offensive line really has nowhere to go but up. So with uh, Samuel, Pettis, Kittle, plus a backfield with Coleman, Breda, and, uh, you know, even little, even Kyle Juszczyk getting loose on a wheel every now and again. Uh, I think this 49ers offense is going to take a nice step forward this year. Yeah. Uh I really want to hear about the, you know, talk more about the backfield, but I think Hassan might have put this question in as like a, a trap because he has some thoughts on Garoppolo that I'm sure he wants to air. No, I, it's not necessarily <laughs> like that, that, that I that I want to air. I mean, in the in the, in the 49ers is pre, uh, preseason, uh, you know, pre-free agency uh, preview that I wrote for Rotoviz, I did mention that the Niners have an out after this season for Garoppolo. Like, like they really sort of, uh, it's, they gave him a quote unquote four year contract, but they structured a two year out. Unfortunately, like Ian mentioned, we have a very small sample size of Garoppolo as an actual starter, not just in San Francisco, but also in, in new England. And he seemed, uh, very capable, uh, at times. And then, um, uh, uh, you know, so they've, so they gave him a fairly front loaded contract and they had him, uh, and they're, obviously hoping that he would have been healthy for, you know, 18 and 19 so they could figure out whether or not that the team should pull up the uh, pick up the option for the remaining two seasons uh, so they can, you know, get out from under it very, very cheaply. Uh, the team was actually in uh, talks for OBJ, uh, which, uh, again, indicates that they're looking to use 2019 a little bit as a way to gauge whether or not Garoppolo is a guy they want to be committing a significant chunk of their payroll to over the next two years. And they're trying to – I wouldn't necessarily say that they're going to make a push this year, but um, they could be a very fun offense in that um, they've got a lot of these guys uh, who who I'm you know fans of on an individual basis, held by um, Garoppolo playing with a defense that's uh, you know pretty much rivals Tampa Bay and how bad it might be. I mean, I know they've signed on all those um, edge rushers and linebackers from other teams, but I really don't see them doing all that much. So, you know – what worries me a little bit about like Garoppolo uh, is uh, that maybe he um, just isn't as efficient or whatever from like a uh, you know going down the stretch and uh, the team opts that you know it, we're better off tanking for two hours or something by like you know the middle of the season like there's no reason to pay him uh, whatever his the rest of his contract is it's, it's a pretty absurd number. But, I mean, relative to other recently signed contracts, it's not that bad. But also, if you have a chance, if you, you know, start 
very, very slow and you lose a whole bunch of your games and you have a ch- chance to back into the 101 for, uh, for you know, a, with, with Tua declaring, you could see that happening. Uh, the, the one thing that I'm worried about from Garoppolo from a, a fantasy standpoint is that he doesn't really carry much Konami appeal. Uh, I mean, he, he tore his ACL trying to go five yards. Like, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I did like your point that he matches up with... Uh, a couple of like, you know, with the, with the Breezes and the Brady's who are, uh, you know, they're not exactly economic quarterbacks. So it's it's a guy who have sort of warmed to a little bit, but also I don't know what to do with with him because like he's going in a, in a range where you've got a bunch of economic code guys in best ball who you'd rather have. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm, I mean, I'm not taking him above of the guys I keep mentioning, Lamar, Dak, and Trubisky or anything like that. But he, he is a guy that to this point in his career has done everything right. Now, with that said, his numbers with the 49ers are eerily close to what Nick Mullins put up uh, mm-hmm. last year in a, in a similar small sample size. So there's something to be said for that. I mean, hats off to Kyle Shanahan. He's increased every single quarterback he's worked with. Their uh, yards per attempt have been higher with Kyle versus without. So I think the big thing here is like the concerns I have with uh, Garoppolo are that like, can he create when the play, uh, you know, when the play's original design isn't there. And we saw him do it sometimes. He had the real nice touchdown to Pettis. I believe it was week one against Minnesota where he had to roll out and kind of, you know, make a throw over a couple guys. But the good news is for him this year, he shouldn't have to uh, work outside of the uh, play script all that often because, because of all these new pieces. And I think uh, you should really, um, trust these Shanahan-led offenses more times than not as long as you have consistent quarterback play under center. So I'm a little bit higher than you guys, I think, on uh, what we're going to see from San Francisco this year. Uh, really excited to see how they utilize Jalen Hurd. I don't think it's going to be a role that uh, leads to any sort of consistent fantasy production, but this is a guy that ran for over 2,000 yards as a running back at uh, Tennessee and Baylor, but he's 6'5", and you know, entering the league as a wide receiver. So as longtime president of the Cordero Patterson fan club, I'm, I'm very interested <laughs> to see if Jalen Hurd could be our uh, second inductee. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I, I, I legitimately was looking at this backfield, and I was like, all right, so you got like Coleman and Breda who are like pretty much going to be your your traditional backs. And I was like, they don't really have like a, like a slot receiver. And then I had like visions of uh, of McKinnon playing like, you know, oh, they're going to make him like a slot guy. Like, he's going to play 30% of the yeah. snap from the slot. And then uh, and then like they uh, drafted Hurd when it came around. And I was like, oh, no, it's it's, it's McKinnon again. It It's such a mess, man. And they gave uh, Raheem Mostert like a three-year contract out of the blue. I mean, he's, uh, he's dealing with complications from that nasty uh, forearm break he had. So I'm not even sure if he'll – be starting the season off, uh, you know, on the active roster. Same thing can be said for McKinnon, I guess, too. But, uh, yeah, it's just a mess there. And we even got Je- uh, Jeff Wilson, late season DFS star, uh, hanging out as well. Uh, out of curiosity, any interest in, in Marquise Goodwin in the late rounds? No, I'm hearing some stuff on Marquise. So, like, he might forego this football season to try to focus on, like, the Olympics or something along those lines. I got to look a little more end of that but i i know he's got the field stretching ability i mean he roasted pp uh when they were playing the cardinals last year i mean he's a baller don't get me wrong but i think even if he's out there he's he's looking at a probably number four pass game option role where his his speed's going to be used more in like just a clear out mode in terms of a featured receiver so we talked a little about the backfield who's your top guy who are you uh like regardless of uh draft position who do you expect to have the biggest role 
Yeah, I think it's Tevin Coleman. Uh, we just got to realize that even if the Shanahan family has made a career of kind of elevating these no-name backs or uh, to great roles or maybe elevating a more prominent rock, uh, a more prominent back to greater heights, uh, it hasn't always led to a ton of fantasy production. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has only had five top 20 PPR RBs in his 11 years as an OC or a head coach. Uh, you know, he gets the most out of guys like Alfred Morris, but it just doesn't always equate to huge production. But out of this group, it's got to be Tevin, I think. I mean, he's been so explosive. Uh, fifth highest rate of runs for 15-plus yards since he entered the league in 2015 per PFF. And it's a complete tragedy that he has never had even 50 targets uh, in a season. The the amount of ability he's shown to work out of the slot out wide and even just on wheel routes. I mean, he catches the ball like a receiver. And we saw Kyle really uh, use – uh, utilized that part of his game more so in 2015-2016 uh, when he was the Falcons offensive coordinator. So hopefully we see more of that. But it's just tough to see Tevin getting too large of a workload if Matt Breda and Jarek McKinnon are going to be healthy. Uh, I, ideally, I mean, I shouldn't say ideally. I don't want any of these guys to get hurt. But um, if we can get a situation where Coleman and Breda or, or uh, Coleman and McKinnon are kind of forming a two-back committee, I think Coleman could return some real nice fantasy value. But if we're going to have a three or four running back system with Kyle Juszczyk also, you know, pl playing his 60% snap rate as well as a pass blocker and a two-back set fullback, it's just going to have a low ceiling on a week-to-week -week basis. Yeah, Coleman is someone I've been a fan of for, I don't know, the last, <laughs> you know, three years it seems like. And he, uh, uh, I guess the, well, last season he had the opportunity and it appeared he had the opportunity and just didn't... Uh, quite live up to expectations so um you know he's uh it's not exactly rational but he's kind of hard to trust so i almost find myself leaning toward Brita a little bit but um yeah i hear what you're saying about his explosiveness and uh definitely uh definitely an intriguing situation to pay attention to and see if anything comes of it yeah coleman definitely disappointed last season i wasn't expecting that i'm I'm giving him a little bit of benefit of the doubt and putting it more on the Falcons offensive line, Steve Sarkeesian more than anything. But yeah, if he can't kind of return to his efficient ways uh, in this Shanahan led offense, then then I'm going to have serious concerns. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the fantasy football report. Special thanks to our guest, Ian Harditz. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at iHarditz. Please remember to rate and review the road of his radio channel on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com/podcast. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. 
Sup, Rumi? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.